Hi, this is Mark Turner, author of When the Heavens Fall and Dragon Hunters, and you're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast. Our guest today was born in Toronto, Canada, but was quickly whisked away to England. Upon graduating from Lincoln College in 1996, he pursued a career in law. Plagued by endless bouts of daydreaming, he soon discovered the whole law thing was for the birds, stepped down from his job at one of the top law firms in London, and started working part-time to focus on a career in writing. His first novel, When the Heavens Fall, book one of the Chronicles of the Exile series, was published in May of 2015 by Tor Books in the U.S. and Titan in the U.K., and is billed as The Lord of the Rings meets World War Z, featuring gritty characters, deadly magic, and meddlesome gods. Book two in the series, Dragon Hunters, was just released February 9th, Kirkus Reviews says our guest is a newcomer to watch. Skyping in from Durham, England, the Grim Tidings podcast welcomes Mark Turner to the show. Mark, thanks for hanging out, man. Pleasure is mine. You were a little ill yesterday, but you said today you are recovered and ready to do this podcast thing. I'm raring to go. So let's dive in and talk about your awesome fantasy book series. You've got two books out. It's called The Chronicles of Exile is the name of the series, and the newest installment is Dragon Hunters. Tell our listeners what they can expect from this newest installment in the series. Dragon Hunters is essentially a story about a military coup. Uh, it takes place against uh, the backdrop to um, an event called the Dragon Hunt. Uh, once a year, a, a gate over an inland sea is raised to allow a sea dragon to pass underneath. And there it is hunted by a fellowship of powerful uh, water mages called the Stormlords. Um, while this is going on, um, the leader of the Storm Lords, someone called Emil Polivar, uh, is coming to the end of her tenure. The Storm Lords kind of rule on a rota, each gets five years and then they step aside. And her time is coming to an end, but of course she's got no intention of stepping down graciously. So she's going to try and hang on to power if she can. And she um, enlists the help of a uh, uh, a set of priests called the Chameleons, and their task is to um, hijack the Dragon Gate, essentially, and throw the whole empire into chaos by doing so. But unfortunately for her, and unbeknownst to her, there's an even more dangerous player on the scene, lying low for the time being, but as soon as Emil Polybar launches her coup, her play for power, they take advantage of the chaos to um, play their own hand. And that's essentially what it's about. For people who have read book one, When the Heavens Fall, Dragon Hunters is both similar and different. Um, it's similar in the same in the in the sense that there's a, a shared mythology between the books, the same magic system, the same races, the same history, obviously. But it's different in that uh, it's a new set of characters. It's uh, a new place in the world. It's also a, a slightly different style of book. I mean. Book one was very much a, a kind of a quest narrative. Book two, everyone starts in the same place and the action takes place over a much shorter period of time. So similar but different. And so this isn't necessarily a direct sequel to the first book, uh, When the Heavens Fall? Not a direct sequel. Book two, you can read it as a, a standalone. My plan for the series that is that... Um, each book can effectively be read as a standalone story, albeit part of a larger narrative, which um, is told over the course of six books. Joe Abercrombie was a big uh, influence for you or one of your 
inspirations in a way. Does his style uh, kind of appeal to you in the same way? Uh, he writes a lot of standalones in the same same universe. Is that kind of a similar style that you're going for is writing? You want to continue writing in the same universe, but you want each uh, story to kind of stand on its own? Uh, similar-ish, but as I said, the, the series of six books is very much a series. So each book is is it, it tells its own story but the the group of six books can be read together as it, an overarching story if you like will those characters ever intersect between all the six books will they eventually kind of meet up and cross paths they will yes um the characters in books one and two uh will start appearing in books three and onwards or at least those that survive that long will uh, <laughs> and, and ultimately in book six all of the characters and all of the different story threads will come together um, for the um, the finale. So you said those that survive. Are you are you a big fan of killing killing off characters? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a big fan, but I kind of like feel it's necessary sometimes just to um, almost to keep the reader on their toes. As soon as they start getting a little bit um, comfortable that everyone's going to survive, then I think you lose a, a little bit of narrative tension. I was. Um, a big fan, as I guess most people were, of um, Game of Thrones, uh, that first book in the series. And the death of a certain main character kind of really blew me away at the time because I just wasn't expecting it. I thought he was safe, and I suspect most people will have done as well. So when he died, you can be sure I was taking Martin seriously the next time when he put one of his other characters in, in danger. And I, I kind of like to do the same in my books. I mean, no one is safe. Don't get too attached to anyone because... Um, they could fall at any moment, I'm afraid. How far into the series have you written so far, Mark? I'm actually in the process of writing book four at the moment. Book three uh, is finished. It's with my editor now, and it's actually coming out in September. So um, not a long wait at all for that one. But I'm about halfway through the first draft of book four at the moment. How is the editorial process going for you at book four? Do you find it difficult to pen the series the, the, the deeper you get into the weeds as, as far as it goes? I think it kind of helps that each book is an individual story in certain senses, because although each book does leave a certain number of threads to carry on into the remainder of the series, in a way, I kind of start each book fresh with a new story. I know who the characters are. I know roughly who's going to survive um, and who isn't. And so I, I can almost approach each new book as um, a new project. I have a certain number of notes which, um, which I've written from the other books. I know roughly what has to happen when. I know certain events that are going to happen, but I have a lot of flexibility around those, um, around those notes to just go with the story wherever I feel it has to go. So since you're writing a six book series, uh, do you ever get those uh, what I call creative ADD situations where other project ideas come to mind and you start thinking like, oh, that would be maybe I should write that or whatever. Or do you stay you pr stay pretty much focused on the main uh, series while you're writing it? I have um, a number of other ideas for other projects, but because I have this flexibility within the series, I mean, if I had a good idea, then within reason, I might be able to bring it into book four or book five. Book six is pretty much set in stone, but I only have a very general idea of what needs to happen in book five. So if I had a really good idea, then it's perfectly possible that I could um, bring it within the, the series as it is.
And you actually have a free short story called There's a Devil Watching Over You. Uh, it's set in the Chronicles of the Exile Universe. Um, any more plans? Oh, that's available on, on Tor.com uh, if folks want to head out to read that. But any other plans for writing short fiction? I've written a short story already set in the same world. Um, it's only a first draft at the moment. I'm kind of waiting to find an appropriate home for it, and then I'll, um, I'll finish up on that. I'm also planning on doing a short story for um, the Guns and Dragons anthology for Fantasy Faction. Uh, it's a Wonderful. UK um, fantasy website for those who don't know it. Uh, I think there's going to be an announcement on that shortly. Um, but yeah, looking forward to doing that. But yeah, I, I really like writing um, short stories because the world that I write in, I, I like to have a lot kind of going on in the background to the main plot. I like a world which extends beyond the four corners of the story, if you like. And that means that going to be lots of events that you'll see referred to a lot of history a lot of characters who you might only meet very briefly so that'll leave a lot of gaps for me to kind of fill with short stories so i'll be going back to the um the world on and off to um to write those stories and fill in some of those gaps i should also mention the um the short story that you mentioned is uh is also on my website recorded as a as an audio emma newman from the tea and jeopardy podcast she um, she narrated it for me. She's an author in her own right, of course. She's got a, a book out at the moment, Planetfall. Um, and I think she also recalls, records the audio for her own stories. But um, she did the short story for me and um, she really nailed the, the main character in it. So go and have a listen to it. It's, it's great fun. If you ever want to hear someone say the word bastard with real feeling, then <laughs> bastard. that's the story for you. Yeah, she really gives it something. We like to say bastard with feeling also. Like, <laughs> you bastard. Bob. It's a wasted word if it isn't, isn't it? It just doesn't sound as cool when I say it. It sounds good with me. Bastard. <laughs> so you said, so recently I read a guest post you wrote on Biblio Sanctum, and you mentioned I, something about the second book in the series can often expound on the, the excellence of the first book in the series. So, for mm. example, you said uh, Dead House Gates from Steven Erickson was a good follow-up to uh, Gardens of the Moon because it took what he established and kind of made it better in various terms. Do you kind of feel like Dragon Hunters is on that same level as far as the second book in a series? It certainly kind of expands the world because it's, it's set in a, a new place. Book one was was effectively a, a self-contained story. As I said, it was it was set in a predominantly in a, in a forest, and as such, although you had people travelling to it from various areas, it was only a small corner of the world. And I feel certainly with Dragon Hunters that I've expanded the story. I've um, I've taken readers to a different place. I've shown them a different conflict. So yeah, it it certainly has um, broadened the scope of the story, and that's something which I'm going to be looking to do with each book and taking readers somewhere new certainly um book three we're going to be moving to um, a place called the ruby hole tiles which is a, a whole nation of pirates so hopefully I'll, I'll be making the story bigger with each book when you're writing dragon hunters were you doing lots of research about stories with dragons and when you're doing the third book were you thinking about various stories that use pirates or real life pirates or anything like that no, not so much. But with book two, one thing that I did have to research was uh, ships, to a degree, um, because a lot of the a lot of the story takes place on the high seas. Um, 
you won't be surprised to hear that because it's it's the dragon hunt. It's that they are sea dragons, and um, the storm lords each have their ship, and there's a whole load of other dignitaries as well. They all converge on their ships, and I don't think I'm giving too much away when I say that there's going to be some dragon fights taking place between um, the ships and the dragons. So I had to do quite a bit of research on um, on ships for that, just getting some of the terminology straight. Um, but in terms of researching dragons, not so much. I mean, these are these are different dragons. They're sea dragons. I think most people, when they think of dragons, would think of the the winged and fire-breathing kind rather than um, sea dragons. So um, I'm not sure there was there was much research I could have done on on that score. Ed Greenwood said, "When the heavens fall is good old-fashioned sword and sorcery turned up a notch." How badass is that to get a blurb from Ed Greenwood for the book? Um, yes, um, his yeah. <laughs> his was. Um, a really good blurb to get. I haven't got the wording here, but he sounded genuinely excited about the book. So that was a, that was a really good one to get. That was also, I think, probably maybe the first blurb I got thinking back. So yeah, that was a, that was a very exciting moment. Were you a big fan of the Forgotten Realms series or Dragonlance or any of the Dungeons and Dragons universes? Dragonlance, yes. And I think the Dragonlance books actually got me into role-playing myself. Um, I seem to recall that a lot of the Dragonlance stories were based on a gaming session. So yeah, they got me into um, role-playing myself when I, when I was a teen, but um, we're going back a long time now. Yeah, that seems to be something we, we notice with a lot of uh, writers is that they, they role-played at some point, and role-playing was kind of the gateway to writing. Yeah, when I was role-playing, I mean, a lot of the time I'd end up as the, the kind of the games master, and part of that was because the people I was gaming with were just far too lazy to actually make up a campaign themselves. But um, the re- the, another part was um, it's, uh, it's a way to make up stories, isn't it, as the games master? Uh, it's your campaign. Um, so I, in a way, maybe that was a kind of um, a bridge to writing to writing novels. I mean, I'd already done a lot of the, the creating stories. It was then just a question of um, writing them down. When I was a teenager, I used to do all my dungeon master planning at work. <laughs> so, so I would go back in the stock room and like plan my session for the weekend. Now, now that I haven't worked there for about 20 years, I can say that. <laughs> and were you ever caught? No, I was good about it. I, I just wrote it on little memo notes. So it just looked like, you know, I was really good at taking notes at work. But <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons notes. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're writing full-time right mark yes so what does an average writing day look like for you then i suppose an, an average writing day strangely starts for me kind of the night before because for some reason which i don't understand most of my best ideas seem to come from come to me kind of late at night when i should really be kind of going to sleep so i tend to do a lot of my thinking then and then the next morning it's kind of walk the sun to school get back and start writing the the ideas that I thought about the night before really and um, I have um, a word count which I have to reach at the end of each day and um, sometimes I even reach it. Are you using a Scrivener? Or? No I've heard it I've heard it mentioned so many times but I don't I don't even really know what it is. You have to join the cult of Scrivener it's what yeah. everyone does now. Is there some um, desperately dark and dangerous joining ceremony? Oh, yes. Just like Twitter. We talked about Twitter before. There's like a dark and dangerous ceremony with Twitter. It's the right. same thing with, uh, with Scrivener. You have to, you know, do some bloodletting. <laughs> right. 
and then there's also right with your own blood stuff like that <laughs> you have to know the know the secret handshake you have to show me that later <laughs> i actually have scrivener but i haven't used it in a while it's really useful for like organizing stuff and uh putting things together and if a uh, scrivener wants to send me any free stuff uh, <laughs> some free promotion for you so you just joined Scrivener so you could do the, uh, the ceremony, didn't you? Yeah, I just really like that bloodletting. <laughs> so one common conversation that we have with the authors who come on the show is we talk about the amount of work that an author needs to invest into marketing and promotion. Uh, Mark, could you maybe tell us how you've addressed getting your name out there and uh, any part of marketing yourself as an author that you find particularly challenging? Yeah, I've, I've done a few things on the marketing front. For book one, I did the short story um, that we talked about. Um, the, the whole idea behind that was to hopefully get people interested in my writing and the world and go on from there to, to, to buy in the book. But I also did um, a video trailer for it. Book two, I've done some quote posters. Um, so just find a, a suitable image and then marry it together with um, a quote from the book in a, in a way which will hopefully get people interested. And then there's the usual kind of blog tours, articles, interviews and whatnot. Generally, my thinking is that certainly with publicity, uh, you've got to try and approach it as much as possible in, in an indirect fashion. So hopefully do something entertaining or interesting or humorous or whatever, and maybe kind of slip in a, a mention of the book at some point and hope no one notices. Um, it's, it's kind of the difference between um, dangling the book invitingly in front of someone and beating them around the head with it. And um, the latter just, just doesn't work, I don't think. So... Um, in terms of things that that I find a bit more difficult, I'd love to do a bit more on Twitter and, and Reddit. I kind of like feel that they're a bit too much of um, a time sink for me. Whenever I go to Reddit, for anyone who doesn't know, Reddit is just a kind of a series of forums for fantasy fans talking about fantasy things. But whenever I kind of clock in, I see that there are um, lots of interesting conversations going on. And you think, oh, yeah, I've got something to say about that. And then you kind of click on the screen and you find out that uh, 100 people have already made exactly the same point and probably said it a lot better than you would have done. It's almost like kind of walking into a room where 100 people are already having a conversation and kind of trying to make yourself heard above it. And it's almost like you have to be monitoring the, the forums every minute of every day to, to wait for a post to go out, so go up so you can kind of jump in with, with what you've got to say. And I kind of like feel the same with Twitter as well as kind of Lots of interesting tweets going up all the time, but uh, whenever you think of a, a response to make to, to any of them, um, you just find out that 100 people have already made the, made the same point. So it's, uh, it's, it's finding the time because certainly when it comes to writing, as much as possible, I like to kind of say, right, I'm going to write now for the next couple of hours. I can't, I can't just jump into social media and then jump back into the writing and so on and so forth. So... I kind of like feel that there's a lot going on there that I'm missing, um, but that's just the way it is. Would you say there was somewhat of a, a learning curve when it came to avenues and places uh, where you could get your name out there? Yeah, I think so. I think when I started off, I don't think I'd even heard of Reddit, to be honest. So that was a learning experience. But but also Facebook. I've only, I've only recently joined Facebook. And I think part of the reason for that was that um, when you think of all the avenues of promotion that are open to you from interviews to articles to updating your own blog to tweeting. It's almost like you've got to make a choice somewhere along the way. You can't hope to cover every single base. So that's been um, 
learning experience as well, perhaps learning where to use my time to best effect, really. And during the week uh, when you're doing your writing, do you have any like set aside time where you specifically set aside like an hour for marketing promotion or is it just kind of as you go? Kind of depends on whether or not I hit that um, word count that I mentioned. I mean, if I if I do hit that, then there might be some time left in the evening. But generally, promotion gets kind of pushed back to the weekends. If if I've got some free time at the weekend, then that's when I'll look to do it. I wonder if there's any any kind of promotion uh, that hasn't been tapped into yet, like maybe you know paying people to walk around with your book cover around their neck or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. I just think there must be, uh, I mean, everyone kind of uses social media in different ways, but. Sorry, I'm just writing this down. Hang on. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, the more more creative, obviously, is going to get more attention. So, you know, you doing the, you know, the quote posters that I think that's a really awesome idea to share a little bit about your story, but also give people an image because I think images are more eye catching. Was that how you came up with yourself or you saw other people do before? Um, I think I'd seen um, Mark Lawrence do um, a quote poster competition on his blog. I think that's probably where the idea first came from. Mark Lawrence, that name rings a bell too. I've heard that before. Yeah, I think he writes fantasy. I could be wrong. (laughs) We're a big fan of Mark. Big fans of uh, Joe Abercrombie and Steven Erickson also who were pretty big uh, for you, what was it that really appealed to you about their work? Was it, you know, the dark atmosphere or the character, you know, the different kinds of characters? What was it that appealed to you the most about those worlds? And then have you kind of adapted anything from those authors? I think with um, Abercrombie, his characters, I think, are just brilliant. I think some of his characters are my favorite fantasy characters, full stop, like um, Logan and Glockter. Um, I also like the tone of his book and the, the kind of the grim, the grim humor, the dark humor that runs through it. With Erickson, I mean, no one does epic fantasy like um, Stephen Erickson, in in my opinion. Um, he's got um, a history kind of literally stretching back hundreds of thousands of years, and he's got mortals and gods kind of battling it out, and the mortals giving as good as they got. And I also like how he um, he had lots of interweaving plot strands lots of different characters. So he introduced you to lots of powerful characters at the beginning and then just brought them together at the end for a big kind of battle royale. Um, so those were what I particularly liked about those authors. And um, I would say they're probably the authors who have influenced me most, although I actually read a review of When the Heavens Fall a while back and the reviewer actually compared me to 10 different authors in a single sentence. <laughs> and, um, five of them I've never even read before. In fact, two I hadn't even heard of. So um, I think people will see different influences in the book depending on um, what what they've read. But in terms of adapting my style, I don't think I have. And I think um, as soon as you start changing the way you write to try and copy what another author is doing, then I think you're immediately on pretty shaky ground there, to be honest. No one can do what Abercrombie does better than Abercrombie does it. And same with Erickson and any number of other authors. Um, I remember reading um, the review of a debut of uh, another author who whose influences were, were pretty clear. And the review said something along the lines of, yeah, really liked the book, but I liked it a lot better when so-and-so wrote it the first time. So um, 
I think um, every author has got to kind of establish his own voice rather than trying to adapt what he's doing to copy someone else. It's good to be inspired by different writers and kind of like what they do, but mm. then also kind of find your own, uh, the, the elusive voice that everyone always talks about. Yeah. Um, I think you're always going to come off as a pale imitation if you try and copy what someone else is doing. Rob copies me a lot, so... <laughs> This is true. This is true. He always tries to talk like me. <laughs> but he has it's a horrible, horrible southern accent. So do you have to limit what you read while you write, Mark? Do you do you have to not read fantasy or anything while you're writing in, in case it influences you? Or are you able to kind of separate the two? Yeah, I, I can kind of separate the two. And to be honest, I, I wish I could read more. Um, the, uh, the writing takes so much time out of the day that I really have to kind of set aside reading time. Otherwise, I wouldn't read. And that would be really sad. Because obviously it was um, it was reading that got me into writing, and I would hate to think that writing would get me out of reading. So, um, yeah, I, I need to I need to do more reading rather than to try and read less while I'm writing. And any any recent works of late that you've read that you that you've enjoyed, or any authors that you're particularly fond of at this point in the fantasy SF realm? Well, Michael Fletcher, obviously, I, I believe you know him. Oh yeah, <laughs> we know Michael yeah, Fletcher. I've read his. Um, his Beyond Redemption, and and that was that was brilliant. But that's the best book I've read for, for quite some time. So, I think everyone should read that. He must have written it with the lights turned out dark, but it, it was it was very very good. Yeah, I gave him that uh, my pick of 2015 for best novel was Beyond Redemption. Well, he yeah. hadn't read When the Heavens Fall by then, so uh, I'll let. Yeah. Anybody else besides uh, Old Fletch that you picked up lately, or <laughs> Old Fletch? Old Fletch, that's what I call him. Old Fletch. <laughs> I'm reading uh, Adrian Tchaikovsky at the moment, Tiger and the Wolf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, enjoying that. I've also read a, a couple of books by, is it Drew, is it Karpishin? Is that how it's pronounced? He, he writes the, the book set in the Mass Effect Empire for those who play the computer game. So I, I've enjoyed those as well. Any other plans for expanding media? Any talks of comics or anything expanding beyond the novels at this point? Or are we still too early for that? I think we're too early for that. Um, it's oh. it's kind of like a, a full-time job, just keeping up with what I've got um, going on at the moment. So um, it would be wonderful at some future date, but um, nothing uh, nothing in the plans at the moment. Anything ideal? Would you like to see like a graphic novel treatment or anything specific? Maybe a, a tabletop game system set up around your series? Well, I, I was thinking a multi-episode TV drama would be good along the lines mm. of Game of Thrones. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could go for that with some persuasion. Well, I wouldn't. Mind, I wouldn't mind playing a game where you get to have a ship and ram it into sea dragons. So <laughs> you already got a fan there, as far as the. That. I think I think you'd come off slightly worse than the sea dragon, but yeah, give it a go. Put a battering ram on the end of it on the end of my ship. Well, and in in Dragon Hunters, they have some specific weapons for um, for fighting the dragons, which you'll see when you read the book um kind of sorcerously invested weapons and and the like so yeah they they come prepared when they fight the sea dragons they don't just run into them and the ship explodes <laughs> no, they don't go <laughs> along with it <laughs> with a big net and try and catch it in be good. any plans on uh, attending any conventions in the uk or the us anytime soon i go to pretty much all the uk conventions i know that in america you seem to have it feels like one a week pretty much or mm, pretty much yep Whereas in the UK, we have kind of like four or five for the entire year. So certainly the big ones. Um, there are certain smaller ones, which um, 
might bring the number up to about 10, I don't know. But I certainly go to all the big ones. It's great to, to go along and to kind of meet uh, author friends and um, put faces to names of some of the people that you've kind of encountered on, in social media. So, yeah, that's something I like to do. Any appearances forthcoming within the next few months? Uh, later on in the summer, there's a there's kind of a flurry from July onwards. I think there's Nine Worlds down in London. And then Fantasy Con, I think, is in Scarborough this year. And um, there's also um, Edgelit in, in Derby. So, yeah, they come thick and fast once the, the summer gets here. So if anyone's in the UK, write that down on your schedule. <laughs> Say hi to Mark. Say hi, Mark. <laughs> so we can do the lightning round, Philip, if you want to try that. Yes, I would like to try okay. the lightning round. Try the lightning round. I'd like round. to try the lightning round, Mark. It sounds intriguing. <laughs> so the lightning round is a so, yeah, game. I'll probably wish I'd said no, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you may wish after, once you're about midway through. That's usually when people are like, fuck, why did I agree to this? <laughs> that's when we'll start having connectivity problems. So if I kind of like fade out and go, <laughs> then I've pretended that I can't hear you anymore. Okay, well, if that happens, that's cool. We'll just uh, just keep talking. <laughs> but the lightning round, this, this edition is Dragon Hunter's edition. So the lightning round entails, you'll give quick quick answer or however quick you want. You can make it a long answer if you want, but the ideal is uh, a quick answer. You're just whatever comes off the top of your head. I have a variety of dragons, and I want you to tell us how you would... Uh, hunt the various dragons and capture them or kill them. And this can be how your characters might do it or how you you personally might do it if you were a dragon hunter. Right. Okay, so the lightning round begins now. Sound effects. Yeah. You pay for those. Yes, we do. That's an audio file. <laughs> that wasn't from my mouth at all. <laughs> Okay, so number one is Smaug from The Hobbit. How would you capture or kill Smaug? Well, what I'd do is I'd use um, the old famous Black Arrow, just like Bard did. And like Bard, instead... You ever, did anyone else think this was slightly strange? He's got <laughs> this Black Arrow, which he claims he never misses with. Why didn't he fire it first? Why did he wait until he's used all his other arrows? So, yeah, that's what I'd do. I'd use a Black Arrow... <laughs> And I'd fire it first instead of last. Ah, there you go. Get the priorities. Get the mm -hmm. jump on. Okay, number two is Snicker Snack, the Jabberwocky. <laughs> Take care of the the uh, legendary Jabberwocky. Well, that sounds that sounds a bit like Snickers, so I think I'll eat him. <laughs> Perfect. Just eat him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Number three is Puff the Magic Dragon. Lives behind the sea. How would you deal with <laughs> Puff the Magic Dragon? It's a real sea dragon. You're right. <laughs> I don't think I can hunt Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Just ram a ship into him. <laughs> he sounds like he'd just float away anyway, so kind of attach him to a balloon and let him float away. I think Puff might be a protected species, Phil, just so you know. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, yes. Reason to hunt him. Not. Okay, number four. Let's test your Dungeons and Dragons uh, lore knowledge. Tiamat. How would you hunt Tiamat? I'd have to start by looking it up in the book. <laughs> so Tiamat is the dragon like with several heads. It's got like well, a black dragon head, a red dragon head, green dragon head, etc. 
Well, I'd have to ram in with several ships at the same time then. Mm. Good strategy. Mm. Okay, next one is Maleficent, who Angelina Jolie so magnificently portrayed, but her dragon form, Maleficent's dragon form. Where is this from, by the way? Maleficent? Yeah, there was a Disney movie, um, Sleeping Beauty, originally, right. and then Maleficent had her spin-off Angelina Jolie movie. Must not have done well in the Can UK. I ram this one with a ship as well? That's the best thing to do. <laughs> okay, next one is Drogon, the big uh, dragon from A Song of Ice and Fire, the big uh, dragon that kills lots of people. Right, I, I might have to pass on that one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even try that one. <laughs> Don't even try that one. Okay, next one, number eight. Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. So this is a children's movie with a small dragon that has no teeth. I'm feeling more confident suddenly. <laughs> How small is he? He's a little bit bigger than than his human rider. So he's not huge. He's maybe the size of a horse or something, I think. Just a little boat, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a skiff. Ram a skiff. I'm in with a canoe. Yeah. <laughs> A kayak. <laughs> Just pick up a, a kayak and hurl it at him. <laughs> Take that, you fucking dragon. Okay, and the last one is Falcor, the luck dragon from the never-ending story. Oh. I think we've exhausted all the ways we can catch dragons now. <laughs> well, he's he, he doesn't have wings or anything. He's just a big, long, white dragon with a dog face. Nothing leaps to mind, I have to say. What bastard would kill Falcor anyway? Well, you don't have to kill him. You could just, you know, throw a net over his head or capture him. Give him a dog treat. He looks like a <laughs> dog treat. It's like, like a sausage. Give him a yeah. Give him a sausage. Sausage. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that ends the lightning round. <laughs> Thank you for participating. You get a year's supply of hot pockets. Congratulations. Well, hey pepperoni pizza now you're talking just add a bit of vegemite all right well that was an exciting round of dragon hunters edition lightning round uh much was learned much was discovered mark turner for those who want to keep up with you online and follow all the cool things that are going on with you and uh, the awesome things going on in your chronicles of the exile series where can they find you on social media uh the website is uh markturner.net and the twitter handle is at mark j turner and that's M-A-R-C, Mark with a C. It is, yes. Not a K. Yes. People. I should have pointed that out, really. Yeah. That's okay. It's your first podcast, too. So. It is, yeah. yeah. Much to learn. Awesome. Hopefully it's it doesn't your... taint your experience for future podcasts. <laughs> no, it's been a blast. <laughs> well, if you're on Twitter, um, send Mark a message so he can reply to it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be waiting. You've just set book four back by a good few weeks there. <laughs> Shit, sorry. Never mind. Scratch that. Leave him alone. Scratch <laughs> awesome, Mark. Well, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day uh, to hang out with us. We uh, tried to schedule you back a little bit, but you got deathly ill. Um, and then we got you finally this week. You almost got sick again, but we were able to get you on the horn and chat with you. It's been great um, meeting you and getting to know all about your series. Uh, when the Heavens Fall is available now. Dragon Hunters is available now. Folks can pick those up on Amazon. 
Uh, thanks so much for taking the time, man, and uh, best of luck to you with all of your writerly endeavors. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We love the Brits. Brits are good people. I agree. I may be a little biased, but yes, I <laughs> You can find us online at facebook.com slash thegrimtidingspodcast or on Twitter at GrimDarkFiction. Download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, and if you like this show, please share it and leave a review. Be sure to drop by our Facebook group, Grimdark Fiction Readers and Writers, for daily updates on all things Grimdark. On behalf of co-host Philip Overby and myself, Rob Matheny, thanks for listening to this episode of the Grim Tidings Podcast. We'll see you next time. I don't want to do podcasting.